0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Uh, I want to just begin by saying last Christmas, I was given a Christmas present by my mother, actually, of all people. And this was the Christmas present. Go ahead to that picture on the screen. It's a Fitbit. I'm actually wearing it right now. How many of you use a Fitbit or an Apple iWatch to do health and fitness stuff? Okay. So uh, I didn't ask for this. It wasn't something I was expecting to get, but this thing has transformed the way I exercise and the way I think about my health. And here's the way it's done that. Uh, I never used to pay attention to how many steps I took within the course of the day. I just never thought about that. I, I never counted the number of steps I took in the course of a day. But now, and if you have one of these Fitbits, you know this, at 10 till every hour, this thing on my arm buzzes and I look down. When I look at it, it tells me how many steps I have to take left in the hour in order to hit my step goal for the hour. You know what I'm talking about, right? If some of you have this, uh, and so all these new thoughts are coming into my head that I never used to think. Like I get to the end of a day and I look down, and if I've only gone like four thousand steps for that day, the thought that goes through my head is like, "Oh man, that's not very much. I better get on it tomorrow. Or I'm going to have diabetes." <laughs> I never used to think that before. Or like an ego thing happens where I'll get to the end of a day, maybe I exercised or whatever that day, and I'll look down and it'll be like 20,000 steps. Like That's pretty good, or or 25,000 steps. My wife and I went on a hiking trip for our anniversary a couple weeks ago, and there was like days where I was like 30,000, 35,000 steps, and the thought that goes through my head at the end of those days is like, wow, I really accomplished something today. No, I didn't. I just walked around a lot. In fact, I probably actually accomplished less on those days because I was just walking around. That's all I was doing. But these thoughts go through through my head now that never used to go through my head, and it's just transformed the way I think about health and the way I think about fitness. And and what it did for me is it made it measurable for me to understand how active I had been throughout the day. It made it measurable for me to know how many steps I had taken throughout the course of a day. And so... I got to thinking about this, not just for my health and all that stuff and my physical well-being, but I got to thinking about about my spiritual life. I got to thinking about us, our spiritual life, and and for us here at Frontline as a church. And the question I started wrestling with is this question right here. Um, How do we actually make faith steps measurable? How do you make faith steps measurable? Wouldn't it be great if, if you could just strap this thing to your arm, and, and it would tell you in your spiritual life, like, oh, wow, it took a step today. So like you get to the end of your day, and you're like, wow, you are one step closer to Jesus today. You grew today in your faith walk. Or on a, on a bad day, you'd look down and it'd say, wow, you were a real turd today. You took a few steps backward. You need to get on it tomorrow. I wish I had something like that, because a lot of times, our, our walk with God, our faith feels like it's, uh, it's hard to get tangible with it. And so uh, today what we're doing is we're starting a new uh, series of teachings called Zero Faith. And what we're doing is we're looking at our vision as a church. And our vision for our church is uh, we are not done at Frontline until zero lives remain unchanged for Jesus in our city, in our town, and our community. And so um, we basically are trying to figure out how do we make faith steps around zero measurable and clear for everyone. And here's our heart, here's here's what our goal is here. Uh, We're praying for this month, and as we all kind of get back into a routine of coming to church and being back in life after summer and everything, we would love to see everybody in the church just take your next step of faith. To be able to identify and measure and, and be really clear, here's where I'm at with God, and then take the next step, whatever that is for you. Wherever you find yourself in your spiritual journey, we want to see everybody take your next step. And so we've created a next steps area out here in the lobby, and all these banners were supposed to come in this week, and it was going to be really awesome for the first sermon, and it didn't happen. Uh, so next week, you're going to see in the next couple of weeks, um, this whole area get developed. But in the meantime, you can go on the QR code that's there. We would love to see, if not today. At some point during this series, we would love to see everybody connect in with this resource. And we looked at our zeros, the five zeros that encompass our vision, and we said, let's put some faith steps to those. We want to see everybody take their next step of faith in this fall season. That's what we want to see happen. And so that's what this series is about. And what we're looking at is we're going to be looking over this month at the life of Elijah. Elijah is a prophet that we find in the Old Testament. And there are several faith moves that Elijah had to make throughout the course of his life that I just feel like kind of, you know, correspond to our church in this season right now and they're faith steps that we need to make in our own lives. And so we're going to begin looking at the story of Elijah today. And so Elijah appears out of nowhere in the story of the Old Testament in 1 Kings 17 like literally, we're given very little background of where he comes from. And he appears during a time in Israel's history where the people of God, Israel, God's chosen people, they're in the land of Canaan in this area, and they're trying to follow and be God's people. But what's happening is their king, his name is Ahab, King Ahab, is leading God's people into Baal worship. Now, Baal is this false god. He was a god that we know very well. Uh, Archaeology tells us he was worshiped uh, widely in this area during this period of time in Palestine, and that whole area. And so King Ahab, the king of Israel, of God's people, is leading them into Baal worship. And so this prophet, we don't even know how exactly he has access to the king, but somehow he does, and this is how it begins. Uh, it says, now Elijah, who is from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, goes straight to the king, he says, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God that I serve, There will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. These are bold words. So this whole story begins with this bold announcement from a prophet to the king of Israel, of all people. And basically, it's an announcement that there's a drought. But not just a drought coming, a God-created drought Elijah literally announces to the king, Yahweh, the one true God, the God that you're not worshiping right now, he's going to shut off the water. He's literally going to turn the water off on you. Now, here's what you have to understand. In ancient Palestine, in this area of the world, especially during this time, no water meant no life. It meant no future. Literally, God says, I'm going to shut off the water and... There's not going to be any water until Elijah the prophet says so. Which begs the question, doesn't it? What kind of God would do that? I don't know about you. I don't know if you ever read some of these stories in the Old Testament and you, and you just go, what kind of God would do something like that? Why would he shut off the water on his own people during this time and create this situation where they're suffering? And where they're not experiencing life and not experiencing having a future. Why would God do that? To understand why God would do that, you have to understand a little bit about what they believed about the prophet Baal that they were worshiping during this time. Baal was a fertility god. That's what we know about him. And another name that we found that uh, people commonly used for for Baal, Baal was known as the Lord of rain and dew. That's how he was referred to by people at this time who are worshiping him. And so when Elijah appears and says, there's not going to be any water, there's going to be a drought, and and what he specifically says, he doesn't just say there's going to be a drought, he says, there's going to be no rain or no dew until I say so. What he's doing there is he's confronting, this is clearly about Baal, he's confronting, it's like a punch to the gut of the god Baal, and and everybody who is turning to the god Baal for provision. Now, what they believed about Baal was that they believed Baal was this God that made it rain. So you're living in this dry, arid area. And so what they had observed is that when it rained, the crops grew. And when the crops grew... The animals were healthy, and they would reproduce, and there would be more livestock, and everybody would do well. And they took that one step further, and they started to ascribe that to this, there must be this deity, there must be this God that is pleased with us or not pleased with us. And so they took it even a step further, and they began to decide, well, it must be even this God, Baal, that allows us to be able to have children. So they believed it was the God, Baal, not only that made their animals able to be reproduced and the crops, but even they themselves were able to get pregnant and have children if the god Baal was pleased with them. And so they developed this whole sacrificial system and this, these worship rites around this. And so all these crazy sacrifices had to be happening to the god Baal, and all these twisted sexual practices would go along with that and with all the things they were doing. It's, they were just engaged and sucked into this whole realm of Baal worship. And what was happening was it was just destroying and turning people away from Yahweh, the one true God. And so what happens, I think, and this is what the takeaway for me as I'm thinking about this, is during a drought, I think it matters what story you make up in your head. So when there was a drought, the story they would make up in their head was, there must be some deity who's angry with me. And so this is where they developed this whole idea of this God Baal, this false God. And oftentimes during a drought, the story that we make up in our heads... The narrative that we make up whenever we experience a drought is we think to ourselves, God must be holding out on me. We think God must be punishing me. That must be what's happening right now. But in fact, as we look at this story, that is not what this drought is about. And yes, I just rhymed that. I did it first service and I liked it so much, I was like, I'm like a pastor and a rapper at the same time. I'm going to do it again this hour. So that's not what this drought is about. If you want to know what this drought is about, in actuality, as you look at the story, this drought is not about punishment. Go ahead to the next slide. It's about preparation. This drought is not about punishment. It's not about a deity punishing his people. It's about a deity preparing his people. And oftentimes, the story we make up in our heads during a season of drought is, man, I must be getting punished but in fact, in this story, what's happening is God is beginning to prepare his people for what he wants to do next. We go, we go through different kinds of droughts in our lives. Maybe sometimes we go through like a financial drought. Maybe there's a job loss or an income reduction or, or some, some bills pop up out of nowhere. And so we feel like we're going through this financial drought and we struggle. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a relationship drought, Maybe as a single person, you're wondering, why isn't the, the, God bringing the person I I'm, I'm want to marry into my life? Why isn't that happening? Or maybe as a single person, you're tired of other people saying, why aren't you married yet? There seems to be a drought here. There seems to be something wrong. You're like, there's nothing wrong. I'm completely fine. I'm completely satisfied. Other times, um, maybe it's like a family drought. Maybe you want to have kids And you're looking around and all your friends seem to have no problem getting pregnant. And there's just no end to babies being born in your family and all around you. But it's not happening for you. But For me, all those kinds of droughts, uh, the most painful kind of drought I think that I've ever experienced personally in my own life is what I would just refer to as the spiritual drought. And a spiritual drought is a time where you go through a season of life where it just seems like God is distant you don't sense his presence it feels like even when you pray you're like man are my prayers even are they just bouncing right back from the roof straight down a spiritual drought is a time where you look at the events in your life and they just seem to make no sense and you just begin to saying God where are you where are you the question we oftentimes ask during times of spiritual drought in our lives is the question is God holding out on me why is God holding out on me why is he doing that? Why is he standing at a distance when I'm going through this? And maybe you're in a season like that. And here, here's what I want to say to you. I came to, today to tell you one thing, and here's what I feel like God wants me to say today. Could it be, I just want you to think about it, Could it be, if you're in the midst of a drought right now, could it be that what God is doing is he's not punishing you, he's not holding out on you, but he's preparing you? Could it be that he is preparing you for what he wants to do next in your life? I've been through several seasons of spiritual drought in my, in my life, in my walk with God, even as a pastor. By the way, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you get a pass on that and that God always feels like he's close by and answering every prayer you have. And there have been times of seasons I actually keep a journal, and so I can actually look back. I wish I had time to tell you all these times, but I don't today. But I can look back several points of where I know there was a spiritual drought and where I, I could see in my journal I was writing things, like, God, where are you? Why aren't you answering this? Why, these events in my life don't make any sense to me. And I, almost every single one of them I can look back now, and hindsight being 2020, I can look back now and see it and say, Though God was preparing me for what was coming next. That was a season of preparation. That's what that was. That was a drought. It wasn't punishment. It wasn't God holding out on me or being, you know, vindictive or mean about something I'd done or some sin in my life. It was God preparing me for the next season. Maybe you're in a season right now. Could it be that God is preparing you, that you're in a season of preparation? You say, but preparation for what? What what could he possibly be preparing me for? Usually, it's a faith step. Usually, it's a faith step in our lives that we need to take. Some area of trust in our lives, some faith step that that God is preparing us for, and He'll shut off the water for a period of time in order to get us to recognize our desperate need for Him, and He'll prepare us to be able to turn to Him in the midst of a season of drought in our lives. And that's exactly what God does here in this, in this story. So three years go by. From those verses in the beginning of chapter 17 we just read, three years go by of a drought. And Think about this. You're living in this area in ancient Palestine during this time. Three years of a drought means everything dries up. You're watching your crops dwindle and die. You're watching the animal, no new livestock are being produced, and the animals are getting thinner and thinner, and they're dying. Your children are hungry, and every day you're just trying to escape the heat and the, the dryness, and you're just wondering, how long can we do this? How long can we hold out? How much longer are, are we going to, you know, have to go through this, and, and are we even going to make it to the other side? And three years later, Elijah finally reappears on the scene. So we're introduced to him, and then he disappears from public view for three years while this drought happens. And then after three years, he appears again to the king, Ahab, and to all God's people in Israel who are worshiping Baal. Verse 21 of 1 Kings 18 says, then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of, on the altar. But not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people, what? They agree to this? This is insane. Think how desperate these people must be to actually agree to something like this. Elijah essentially sets up like an American Idol contest or The Voice or, uh, you know, something like that. There's like this crowd of people, everybody is watching. And, and Elijah's like, okay, you, you, we're going to do a contest. And so you get a bull and an altar, and I get a bull and an altar. You get to sacrifice to your God, Baal. And the, the God who answers by fire, we're all going to vote. We're all going to text in. And the God who answers by fire, that's the one we're all going to agree. We're all going to, as a nation, we're going to worship him. This is a collectivistic group of people. They thought in terms of groups, not just individuals. So we're all going to turn to God. And they all agree. They agree to this. So this is insane. If you, if you continue down the story, what happens next is um, the prophets of Baal get their bull, they get their altar, and they begin their, their rituals, and they begin dancing around, and they're cutting themselves with knives. That bloodletting was part of Baal worship, and so they're, they're doing all this, all, all the weird twisted things they're doing. And I got to wonder, like, what's Elijah doing this whole time while they're doing all this stuff? Like, sitting in a lawn chair, sipping a Mai Tai, just like just waiting. I don't know what he's doing. And they're doing all this stuff, and and nothing happens. Baal doesn't answer. There's no response. So finally, Elijah gets his turn, and he steps up to his altar with the bowl that's been prepared there. And what Elijah does next, I I would say, outlines kind of the dichotomy of what a faith step looks like. So um, there are some elements to a faith step that we see here and what Elijah does next. And I would say these are elements that are involved in pretty much every faith step that we make in our lives. And, and so this is just an example in scripture where you see these three these elements at work. The first one uh, is there was a cost. There's a cost. The first thing Elijah does is he says, before we get into this, he says, I want you to bring four large containers of water And what he's talking about are these containers that were bigger than myself, huge containers of water. They would have represented the reserves that people had for their drinking water at this time. He said, I want you to bring those and I want you to pour those out on top of the bowl and on top of the altar, not once, not twice, but three times. I want you to take these huge containers and just four of them at a time and just dump them out here on the altar. This, you got to remember, this was at the end of a three-year drought. Water was at a premium. This was the last, this is the reserves of their drinking water. This is the last of what they had. The, the cost to this, the expense to this is just mind-boggling. And he says, I want you to bring out that water that, that, that we're counting on. It's our, it's our reserves. It's our savings. It's, what, it's what's left. I want you to pour it out. Dump it out. And so the people do this. They bring these four and like 12, I guess, of them, right? Because four times three is 12. Am I doing my math right there? So they pour out these huge containers of water. Water is dripping off the sacrifice, running down the altar. It's pooling in the trench all around the base of the altar. And this would have been monumentally expensive, Oftentimes when we take a faith step, it's not maybe it's financial cost, maybe it's some other way, but a faith step always costs. We, we think it's we should be able to do it without sacrificing anything. Faith step shouldn't have to cost me anything. That's never what you see. Second element of a faith step is a required dependence on God. You gotta understand for Elijah in this moment, think about this. He's just poured out their reserves of drinking water. If God doesn't appear with fire and do what he, what he believes God is going to do in this moment, Elijah's the one who's going to get cooked, right? I mean, this is like the people's water. This is it. You've just put yourself in a position where there is no recovery. If God doesn't work, if he doesn't show up, if he doesn't move, you aren't coming back from this. See, a lot of times that's the way we risk with God. That's the way we take a faith step is we, we risk, but we don't really put our dependence on God. We risk as long as there's enough reason for us to recover. So a face step looks like this. I'm going to step, but I'm going to keep all my weight on this leg. This is my face step. This is a, a face step for a lot of us. Here we go. Okay, God, I'm trusting you. What God is inviting us to do is, is to do this, putting all our weight and our dependence on him. Elijah puts himself in this position where if God doesn't move, he's totally dependent on God. There's no re- recovery. It's risk beyond recovery is what Elijah's doing here in this moment. And the last element, I would say, there is a public nature to this. Almost every faith step that we take, not everyone, but in most faith steps that we take in our lives, there's a public nature to this. All the people are gathered. Every eye is on Elijah in this moment. This isn't something that happened in some back corner room where I can just kind of test this out. And maybe we did this yesterday, God, you know, and um, so, right, it worked out yesterday, so I don't have to do it today. No, 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 this was something that was being demonstrated in front of the public. It was all eyes watching this happen. It's a cost, it required dependence on God, and there was a public nature to this. And so Elijah begins to speak after he pours out all the water and he puts himself in this position. Verse 36, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, Answer me why. Here's the why. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! The people all as one, they turn their hearts back to God. I love it. They don't say, Elijah, he's a really great speaker. Elijah, he's a great speaker. The band was really awesome this morning. <laughs> that's not what they, he says. They say, oh, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that's exactly the moment that the drought has been preparing the people of God for. It's what the whole drought has been about, is this moment where the people surrender their lives and they, they turn back to God. And if you read the story to the end, the story ends with a huge rainstorm coming and just drenching the land, signifying the drought is over. It's the end of the drought. God responds to the face step of the people and of Elijah, to, and they, they're turned back to him. And that's what God is still all about today. This is this ancient story about this group of people in this whole other time in this whole other era of history. But it's what God was about in that story is what he is still about today. People. People. Having their hearts turned back to God. In fact, this picture in the Old, this story in the Old Testament is kind of a a picture of the gospel. This idea that Jesus came for the exact same reason. And, and, And he was sent by God to be a sacrifice. Jesus himself sacrificed himself on our behalf, willingly so that a way could be made back to the Father through him, so that we can know him. He came as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, giving us the opportunity to know him. And because God loved people, God so loved the world, he loved people so much that he was willing to do that. That's why Jesus came. God prepares people today, still, just like he did then, God prepares people to meet him in their areas of greatest need, in the places in their life where they feel the greatest drought. Those are the places where God prepares us to meet Jesus. It's what he's all about. Think about the people who are there. Think about God's people who are, who are there. They weren't necessarily bad people, right? But they had been sucked into this Baal worship, In fact, by their their nation's leader, they were being led into this Baal worship, and so what's happening is their hearts are getting drawn away from God, and they're looking to this God Baal, but it's it's an empty, dry well. He can't ultimately satisfy their deepest longings, their deepest needs. And, And that's still what happens in our lives. People still are turning in our world today to a dry, empty well. People turn to social media, thinking that if I can just get people to comment on my looks or on my life or whatever, then I'll feel valuable, but it's a dry, empty well. It doesn't satisfy. It can't. Or we turn to our career, I'm going to achieve these things and throw myself into this career and make all this money, but it's a dry, empty well at the end of the day. It doesn't ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of our life. Some people turn to religion, all kinds of religions, but they don't truly turn to Jesus. Some people even turn to the religion of Christianity, but they never encounter the actual true Jesus. But it's only, it's, it's, it's only Jesus that can satisfy our deepest longings and actually knowing him. And, and God wants us today to know that he is Lord and that he can satisfy the deepest longings of our lives. Only he can satisfy the deepest longings of our lives because he created you with those longings. There's no dry, empty well that you can turn to, whether it's alcohol, drugs, porn, whatever dry, empty well you're turning to, trust me, those things don't satisfy. They can't. They're a false God. And what God wants you to know today is that He is the only Lord, and He shuts off the water in our lives. He creates seasons of dryness in our lives so that He can prepare us to meet Him, He's preparing us oftentimes for a faith step. It's time for us to take in our lives. And so to wrap this up and to to look at the takeaway from this this morning, I'm just going to ask you, what has God been preparing you to do in your life? What faith step has God been preparing you to take that requires uh, a cost? It's not going to be cheap. It may not be financial, but it'll cost you somehow. It will require full dependence on Him, risk beyond recovery, And it'll be the kind of thing where it's public. What is God calling you to do? What what has he been preparing you to do? What faith step has he been preparing you to take? And then all we're asking is that you would just take your next step of faith. Take your next step of faith. And and that's why this this month we've kind of designed this, how do we help everybody take your next step of faith? If you're coming to Frontline, you need to be in a small group. Some of you, that's the faith step. For, for others of you, it's you need to begin using the gifts that God's placed inside of you to serve others. For others of you, maybe it's God's been speaking to you about something you need to do in your, to fulfill your purpose in life, in your work, or in your job, or your vocation, and your family. Maybe it's uh, some, some other thing that God's preparing you for. For some of you in this room this morning, I believe the next step of faith in your life is literally this step right here. It's from this step here into that, into that step. Baptism. Is, your, is for some of you your next step of faith. If you have been coming to church, if God's been working in your heart, working in your life, and you've been warming up and coming, coming alive, coming to know him, your next step of, of faith is to get baptized. We call it going public for Jesus. And the symbolism of baptism, we believe, it comes from Romans chapter 6, this idea of the, the baptism is a symbol that we interact with where um, just, it says just as Jesus died and was buried... When we go down in the waters of baptism, we, we're saying, I'm dying to this old life. I'm dying to this dry, looking to this dry, empty well that ultimately cannot satisfy. It can't meet the needs of my life. And just as Jesus was raised to a new life, uh, when we come up out of the water, it's symbolically, it's us saying, we're being raised to a new life in Christ. We're being raised to a new life that he's prepared for us. That's the symbolism of baptism. And we, we do it in church like this because we're supposed to do it it's a face step that we go public with. For some of you, that's the next step that you need to take. So as we head into baptism this morning, and some of you are, have let us know you're getting, you're prepared to get baptized this morning, I want to tell a story of um, a, one person who's getting baptized in this service. His name is Aaron Sturgis. And uh, Aaron first started coming to Frontline with his mother, actually. And so he... Uh, would come but he kind of as an adult child he would go out of respect for his mom and he really wasn't listening he really wasn't uh, into what was being said his heart was resistant he really didn't care about what was happening but he would come you know when she kind of drug him along and uh, what happened was uh, eventually uh, Aaron's mom very tragically and very unexpectedly passed away this past May In fact, it was right before Mother's Day that she passed away. In fact, I was right in this room right back there on Mother's Day when I got the news that his mom had passed away. And that moment created a situation where what Aaron didn't know was that all those times he was coming to church and he was going with his mom, even though mostly out of duty, but seeds were being planted in his life. Truth was being spoken into his life. And at that moment of his mother's death, he realized his deep need for God, this, this need in his life that only God could satisfy and only Jesus could satisfy. And so he, he gave his life to Jesus. He's been coming to church with his sister and brother in law uh, who come here to frontline. And today he is getting baptized. <clears throat> I don't know exactly how this works. Hebrews talks about there's this great cloud of witnesses that watches us run our race. I don't know exactly how this works, but I believe his mom is here in attendance with us again this morning. And for her today, the drought is over. And she gets to join in with heaven and celebrating watching her son get baptized, take that step. So here's what we're gonna do. Would you stand to your feet? And we're going to sing a song right now just to prepare ourselves as we head into baptism. Here's what I'd like you to do. If you, uh, if you are prepared to get baptized this morning, would you come forward and as we sing this song, would you just kind of gather up here on this side of the stage? We're all going to hang out here too, the staff and everybody. Uh, but then I, I want to say something to you, to the, those of you who maybe, you didn't let us know you were planning to get baptized today. Maybe you weren't even planning to get baptized today. But what we know is God moves sometimes and speaks to people in these services. And uh, for some of you, Today you know what your next step is, and you know it's time. So I want to challenge you to make a bold move. I want to challenge you to do something that maybe is out of your comfort zone. I want to challenge you to come forward as we sing the song and join the others who are up here. I want to challenge you to go for it and get baptized today. If you're thinking, "Oh no, well, what, what do I do?" I mean, I didn't come prepared for this. Here's the deal: we have T-shirts and we have towels for you. And don't get baptized to get a T-shirt. I always feel like I need to say that. Get baptized because you've been made new and God is Lord of your life. Jesus is Lord of your life and you're ready to go public and walk into the new life, the the new life that he has for you. Uh, We've got bathrooms, we've got towels, we can help uh, connect with you and, and help you in any way, but don't walk out of this place this morning without taking that step. We want everybody in the church to take their next step, period. Let's stop playing church and let's go for it. God has more for us. Elijah looked at the people and he saw God had more for them and sometimes we just need to be told, God has more for you. He just has more for you. But you got to be willing to, to be bold. you got to be willing to take that faith step. And so we're going to do that this morning. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I got baptized as an infant, but it wasn't my choice. Somebody did it for me. And, but maybe you know the Spirit of God is telling you today, as an adult, I've had this life that's gone all these directions. It's time for me, as an adult, my own decision to get baptized. Do it. Do it. Take the step. That's what we're going to do. So if you're ready to get baptized, please come join us, and uh, let's sing together, okay?